Welcome to episode number 167, Platitudes and Primary Answers. I am your host, Damon Soka. Just a quick note today. We're going to talk about a difficult subject and one that is plaguing the youth, young adults, and even adults in our current society. Too often we as a society want the platitudes and primary answers to be the answer to all the questions and concerns with mental illness. And the truth is that sometimes they do more harm than good. When my mother-in-law was alive, she died a few years ago, my wife and her at times disagreed with one another. My mother-in-law's answer was just about always the same. Well, you need to pray about it. Now, asking somebody to pray about it is not necessarily a bad thing. But in this case, it meant you need to pray about it until you get my answer. That may not be the exact definition of a platitude, but it works for our discussion today. I believe that most of us who suffer have heard their share of these type of platitudes in some type of form. Statements or sayings that really don't help, even though maybe the intention might be there. Invariably, these statements carry an air of, I'm right, you are wrong, and you just need to get over it. Statements such as, you need to pray about it. You just need to lighten up, or perhaps you just need to get over it. Or how about you just need to stop thinking about it. Almost as if we had not already tried these things a thousand times. That somehow the idea that we could just stop mental illness because it is really just a ploy to obtain sympathy, or get out of working, or we are simply not controlling our emotions or desires. Ignorance often carries with it an air of arrogance and a closed mind to the idea that somehow every organ of the body can have an illness, just not the mind. I have encountered these ideas regularly as I have openly discussed the difficulties of mental illness. I don't think that anyone who has ever experienced even a minor bout of illness has not heard at least one of these demoralizing platitudes lacking wisdom. It's frustrating, defeating, and when it comes from parental, peer, or leadership authority, it can hurt deeply. One of the main reasons suicide is so common among the young is the idea that somehow a hormonal imbalance, being dramatic, a lack of self-discipline, cultural stigmas, or other teenage issues are often used as dismissive reasons for behaviors out of the normal range of teenage or young adult emotions. This is most certainly a carryover from previous generations where emotions were something to be controlled. And in addition to controlled, all all emotions must be completely controlled. We are not far removed from the days where children were told to stop crying and emotional outbursts were considered defiance. We still see various iterations of a similar frame of mind in the current generation and reluctance to accept science and psychology surrounding mental illness. Several talks now, recorded in the Church's General Conference and regarded as Scripture, have specifically given credence to the understanding that the mind is an organ just like the rest of the body and can most certainly have serious issues with regards to long-term emotional difficulties. Certainly the stop crying culture has had an influence that a has, has, has had such an influence that a pernicious plague still resonates with the culture. While it tends to be more pronounced in the subcultures of the U.S., Canada, Canada, Central, and South America, it is present everywhere. Actually, for some reason, you will find it pervasive in almost every culture. 
and cultures are slow to adjust to those types of ingrained ideas and beliefs. The problem is certainly not new. Even in the time of the Savior, culture was the main issue that eventually led to his death. Culture often causes deep ruts to be made in the road of life, and those who travel after just have a difficult time keeping out of them. It's part of who we are as human beings. We need a culture. We need an unwritten set of rules that allows us to live in a family and community and know what is expected of us. It provides identity, belonging, safety, and allows our minds to avoid those terrible unknowns that I speak about so often. Often we don't even know why we do the things we do in our culture or why we believe them. This doesn't mean that culture is pure evil. In fact, for the most part, culture is a good thing, as long as it adheres to the teachings and the principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When a culture deviates from the gospel, it can be a terrible vice to its population. Think of alcohol and all the harm it has done over so many generations, simply because it, bec it has become culturally acceptable. The same can be true for vulgar language, domestic abuse, pornographic material, immoral behavior, various recreational drugs, violent behavior, and a host of other issues such as the terrible treatment of women that has occurred over so many generations. Culture is truly the difference maker when it comes to social concerns and the peaceful interactions and functions of society. Now, when thinking about culture and mental illness, we still have a long way to go in addressing the idea that emotions are a major part of the ecosystem of the body and that they can be altered in long-term ways by a variety of external and internal factors. Even within the church culture, mental illness still holds a significant stigma. The church has taught over many generations the idea of spirit over body and controlling the passions, desires, and emotions the body produces. Now, this idea has most certainly indoctrinated itself deeply in our culture, so deeply that much of what we still teach contains elements of this idea. Now, I do not say that, that this teaching is incorrect in the sense of normal bodies. And I am a believer that emotions actually can be trained. But when we discuss such ideas and teachings, it is important to remember that it is in the setting of a normal, emotionally balanced person and not one afflicted with an illness. It is like telling someone to control their sugar when they have pancreatic cancer, or asking a dementia patient to control their memory. They are not within the normal ability to do so because the body is entirely out of the normal range. Even if they did a good job with everything, diet and exercise and spirituality, as they should, they could still easily be in trouble. Strangely, even teaching it that way does not seem to change the cultural narrative within the church. So many suffer in silence because of what they have been taught concerning emotional control. And they wonder why they struggle so much to control what others appear to do so far more easily. Because of the narrative and the struggle that ensues, so many young people leave the church or become involved in self-medication or most of the time both. I realize that it can be difficult to accept something that you have never experienced. The mind would have to accept something unknown, simply on the word of others, and that can be a difficult battle for most people. And mental illness also tends to come about slowly and methodically, and differences from one day to another are often unrecognizable. 
it can be very difficult for a parent to accept the idea that a child has gone from a normal tween to a teenager with anxiety or depression, or even a normal teen has gone on a mission and then all of a sudden emotionally cannot function within mission life. And it can be more difficult to accept that the answers to the problem are not easy. So often we want to point to one thing or another in our society. We want the easy answer. It's video games, it's social media, it's television, it's peers, hormonal issues, and so much more. And yes, these things can cause problems, and they do. But sometimes they are actually a coping mechanism that is exacerbating the underlying emotional issue. The world we live in is not an easy place to navigate. Our culture is not as homogeneous as it once was, and competition is fierce to get the attention of any person especially ones who are vulnerable to influence. With so much difference between cultural ideas, a young person can be overwhelmed by the decisions. And most certainly, this can cause serious emotional issues and an identity crisis, especially when they have a predisposition to mental illness. Because culture is so much of our identity as a person, we can see young persons struggling to choose and understand the emotional response to those choices. There exist some serious negative consequences to choosing a cultural path and then backing out, as cultures now tend to exclude and cancel, and that includes both our conservative culture and our liberal cultures. Sometimes mental illness is a byproduct of really the cultures we live within, and I think that the rise in mental illness can somewhat be attributed to this problem. We need belonging and identity, It is a core desire within us to be accepted and to be loved. Too many young people are not finding this belonging in the right places, and it is tearing them apart. In addition to those who now suffer from what can probably be called culture-itis, we have these young people, both teenagers and, and adults, who face serious issues with mental illness from all other sources that come upon them and who have a genetic predisposition to the illness. With all the cultures declaring happiness, inclusion, and bliss, the cultural divide can be a terrible and a terrifying place for someone with mental illness, one where getting lost on forbidden roads comes far too easily, especially when the church culture still often emanates an emotional self-discipline of get over it and control your emotions attitude. You have nothing to worry about, we tell them. Your life is a dream. You don't have to make a living or work in the world. And yet we forget just how real their world is, and just how difficult it can be to live within a group of peers still learning cultural norms. Their feelings are as real as ours, but without our experience and understanding. When you add even just a little mental illness, it can turn their world upside down and sideways. When young people experience mental illness, they often do not understand the why, or why they feel the way they do. I used to break down and cry terribly for no reason when I was a teenager. I used to get physically ill before baseball games and talks at church. I would get so anxious I couldn't think on exams or talk to anyone. My emotions were often so different and ranged from depression to mania so often that I couldn't keep friendships and relationships. And I also learned to mask those emotions because society didn't like certain ways of expression. I learned to look and act like others while feeling totally out of sync. I was so often just barely in control of my emotions and had really no understanding as to why. 
Church for me was a was wonderful in the sense of rational understanding, but I was a mess when it came to understanding the Spirit of the Lord. I didn't learn that voice till much later during my mission, and then it was only a partial voice. Once I returned home and that missionary calling was removed, that provided some protection, I really struggled to understand what was happening. I had to come to the point of suicide to realize that I needed help. Luckily, I understood some small portion about the illness because my mother had suffered depression for a period of time. And I was actually attending college at a large university and had access to a school psychiatrist. I could be diagnosed and get some limited understanding of my illness. I was diagnosed so long ago that my first medication was lithium. I then journeyed through several medications over several years, suffering significantly until ultimately the Lord saw fit to relieve me of most of my symptoms, although others remained. The point to this story is that young people will likely not understand what is happening unless someone intervenes and says, I think we need to see a professional. I will tell you that when my wife started her clinical depression that remains with her today, after our sixth child, she suffered for many months before I recognized it in her. Even I, someone who had experienced it in depth and for a long period of time, took too long to recognize the signs in her. When I made the doctor's appointment and she obtained some help, her words were actually haunting to me. I didn't even know how bad I was. Most people will not recognize mental illness in themselves, and we must be the vigilant ones to recognize the outward signs and to help them see what they feel is caused by an illness. Would you know what to look for in someone? Would you be able to see it in them? Beyond simply believing that the illness exists, there is far more to do because these individuals really cannot help themselves. So many times these outward behaviors such as social media, video games, self-medication, acting out may be caused by a mental illness. Far too often individuals get to the point of suicide before they really get any help and sometimes they act upon those feelings. If you think it hurts when a child leaves the church, it is nothing compared to when they take their life. Too often, parents with platitudes and primary answers put a gun in their hand unknowingly. This is often more true in the church where we have these defined ways of thinking that work with normally balanced children and young adults, but do not work with those suffering from mental illness. Platitudes and primary answers may work marginally when you have a normal youth working through issues, but they are like a red-hot branding iron when you say to them when you say them to a young person struggling. And sometimes we don't even understand when we say them. We have these sayings in the church that we call the primary answers. We use them to cover every type of problem that exists. Go to church, pray, listen to the Spirit, attend the temple, read your scriptures, attend seminary, listen to your parents and leaders, seek out the Savior. And for normal individuals who are struggling, these answers are perfect. But even the normal person can have issues getting the answers they need. You see, all of those answers require normal emotional responses. The Spirit needs to be able to speak to you through your emotions and your mind. That is how we obtain those defining confirmations. But when your emotional reality and state is altered by an illness, those answers become very difficult, if not impossible, 
unless you understand what is happening to you. If you don't understand that you have anxiety or depression or bipolar or PTSD and someone tells you these primary answers, you can lose hope and faith because your answers, if they come at all, are mixed with an illness that fights against the very emotions you are trying to feel and seek. No matter how hard you try, answers to questions and problems are going to be very difficult when your mind and body are racked by deep feelings of depression, despair, or worry. Even if you get a positive answer, and one you know comes from God, it can be quickly erased by those terrible feelings, and you can quickly doubt that you ever received an answer. I know, because I have been there too many times to count. The only way, the only way anyone can even come close to an answer when they have a mental illness is to understand first that they have an illness, and then learn coping mechanisms to obtain the answers they need. Answers to questions and concerns for those who have mental illness will come in very different ways and they tend to be repeated as needed. But if you don't know, then the gospel can really be a mystery, and those primary answers can be more confusing than helpful. In fact, I have found that most young people who are not diagnosed tend to shy away from the gospel rather quickly because they don't understand why they are not feeling those things others do and why they don't feel them in the same way. The gospel is only true if you know it deep within your soul and emotions, and not only do you need to feel it once, you need to feel it regularly. That will be very problematic for someone who is cycling in and out of depression or mania or anxiety. They can feel it is true one week, and in a couple of weeks, nothing feels true, no matter what you do. Young people who suffer mental illness cannot approach the gospel the same way as others, and that is true for every age who has a mental illness. The gospel must be approached working with the illness and with the understanding that it will seriously affect your spiritual nature and living the gospel. I don't believe that it's possible to live the gospel when you are not diagnosed and working to manage your illness. The tendency will be to other philosophies of men more aligned with the reality of the illness. And those philosophies are far easier to live, but terribly detrimental to your spirituality, eternally, eternity, and even the illness itself. The truth is, is that the best medicine for mental illness is diagnosis, management, and living the gospel as well as you can. Although you will not be able to live it similar to those who do not have your illness. While I don't have every answer for everyone, there are some things you should understand that will be helpful to living the gospel while managing your illness. Here are my things that I use when I need to feel the Spirit or hear the Spirit. First of all, get help and get diagnosed and manage your illness with a professional. You will not be able to manage it all by yourself because your illness simply is not going to allow it. We are driven and motivated to <clears throat> action by our illness, and our illness does not like to manage itself. Without management, living the gospel will be very difficult and at times impossible. Second, accept your illness. You are going to have days when you can't feel or hear the Spirit and you won't feel the church to be true. Accept that those days will come and they will go. Don't make spiritual decisions on these days. Do your best to stay as spiritual as you can and ask the Lord for some help. Now, I have found that he does help, but sometimes it comes in his own way. Third, you can't accept all your emotions as reality. That is terribly difficult, but it is also very true. 
rationally think about what is going on around you. If nothing is wrong rationally, then nothing is wrong except the feeling. Again, terribly hard to do. But I have found saying that it is just my anxiety talking or depression talking or my mania talking, it helps me to separate it. I may have to do that actually several times a day during an episode. Fourth, if you need to find your strategy for you need to find your strategy for hearing the confirming voice of the spirit. Now I have a few that I will mention. One, the spirit often repeats things for me several times. It also continues to repeat things for a couple of days. When I think I have an answer, I actually will sleep on it and see if I feel it the next day. Sometimes we get caught up in those emotions and for me sleeping clears out the register. Two, sometimes the Lord just speaks to my mind rather than my emotions. This can mean a voice in my head, it can mean someone else saying something and the Lord, I call it, highlights it. Or sometimes I read it, read through a scripture that the Lord highlights. Not sure exactly how to explain the highlight, but the Lord lights up phrases for me. Three, always consult another person who is close and can help. The Lord can send inspiration to another person to help you confirm it. Normally, this is someone responsible for you, but it can really be anyone you truly trust. Four, if you feel it, and it's against the doctrine of the church, it isn't correct. You will feel feelings to be true that are not correct. This is Lucifer with his access. Don't listen to it. Five, allow for mistakes. Even normal people trying to hear the voice of the Spirit will make mistakes. You will make more of them than the normal person. Don't worry about it. The Lord gets it. Six, read the scriptures even when you don't feel it. The Lord can light up phrases without the emotion. Seven, pray even when you can only say thank you or even when you can't say anything. Just sit there and listen and ask for help. The Lord wants you, not fancy words. Eight, Listen all the time for the Spirit, even when you may not think that it is speaking. Strangely, I have found something that out of the blue thoughts sometimes are the Spirit speaking to me. Nine, and this one's going to sound a little funny. Sometimes when I take my mind entirely off the subject that I'm asking about is when the Lord is able to speak to me because he understands my emotional nature. I get many impressions strangely watching movies, where the thought has absolutely nothing to do with the movie. 10. The Lord fully understands that you are going to make mistakes over and over again as part of your illness. When the Lord said 70 times 7 regarding sin, he meant that he would also forgive that way as well. Keep trying. Don't give up. The purpose here is to continue to improve and to fight. Obtaining exaltation is really about the fight and enduring that fight to the end. Finally, fifth, remember the saying I state every time I end a new episode. Do your part so that the Lord can do his. So often when we talk about enduring to the end and doing our part, I rephrase it to fighting to the end. And for those of us who suffer, it will be a fight to the end. However, if we just continue to work and never give up, no matter the problem, difficulty, sin, addiction, or issue, we will ultimately obtain celestial life. Yes, the Lord requires the fight, and he will fill in the rest. You can obtain celestial life and exaltation with a mental illness. You just have to stay in the fight. Remember, we cannot compare finish lines in our race. Each line for 
each person will be different and defined to the person, the weakness given, and ultimately the Lord. May the Lord bless you to continue in your fight to exaltation. Until next week, do your part so that the Lord can do his.